Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy, a book club hosted by me, Geordie Bailey. And hosted by me, Duncan Nickel. Oh. Hello, Duncan. This week, people, we're doing Revenge of the Sith by Matthew Stover, the novelisation of the film, Revenge of the Sith, uh, a Star Wars book. Geordie, what did you think of it? Uh, I don't want to read this book, Duncan. You made me. Why did you make me? I am a massive Star Wars fan. I love read. I've read so many of the books and I want to share my joy with the world. So, Geordie, come on. What What did you really think? Mm, I really like this fucking book. <laughs> it's so embarrassing to enjoy a Star Wars novel. I enjoyed this book a lot. It was very well written. See? They all turn in the end. I feel, uh, I, I genuinely, I genuinely, when we began this podcast, Duncan told me how good this book was long before we even started. And he told me that he's going to make me read it. And I was, I always thought to myself, you know what? I trust Duncan's good sense. I, it probably is good, but it's probably gonna, you know, be cringe or embarrassing. But it was just good. Like, very good. And I'm very annoyed by this. So, I've already made it clear that I'm a massive Star Wars fan. I've read yep. multiple EU books. You know, I am there for everything. But, Geordie, why don't you just kind of let people know, what's your... Where are you coming from when it comes to Star Wars? Fan? Um, my relationship to Star Wars it can pretty much be encapsulated by the first five minutes of this podcast. Because, um... I have always enjoyed Star Wars. Uh, it's my favorite. It was my favorite movie franchise for the majority of my life. Um, I absolutely adore it, all in all, uh, no matter how many times it hurts me. Um, and uh, and recently, it's 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 embarrassing to be a Star Wars fan because Star Wars fans are the worst. But um, but I am one. I can't I can't deny. It. And this is the final nail in the coffin. It's, Duncan, do you know how hard it is to read a book and have someone say Makashi lightsaber dueling style and know what it means? Like, I didn't need to look it up. I knew what Vaprak was. It just builds on you. And that's part of the reason why I love it so much. Because you do, you, you start, once you start reading these books, they'll just throw things out and you'll be like, I know that. I, yeah, no, they're talking about the Rusan Reformation. Yeah. I know all about the Russo Reformation. Come on. Of course you do, Duncan, you fucking nerd. Anyway, I enjoyed this book. I have no I'm full of shame. I need to I need to <laughs> I need to go to a confession booth. Duncan, um could you please rank the Star Wars films and give me a line where they turn from good to bad? Oh, okay. This is gonna be controversial. Okay, so uh top. Uh New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, uh Force mm -hmm. Awakens. I like The Last Jedi, uh, Return mm -hmm. of the Jedi, um, Revenge of the Sith. There's a line, Rise of Skywalker. No, there's a line, Phantom Menace, Rise of Skywalker, Attack of the Clones. Okay. So, so Revenge of the Sith is in the good category then? I, yeah, I do. I watched, rewatched this movie um, very shortly before going to see Rise of Skywalker. And although it does have its issues, uh, my partner wouldn't refuse to watch it. Uh, I, we've seen the originals <laughs> and we've seen the sequels, but I literally, I put on Revenge of the Sith. I'm like, oh no, this is, this is the good prequel. I know you've heard a lot. 
and she as soon as they kind of jumped out of the spaceships uh, onto the carrier she just went nah this ain't for me this is totally <laughs> different uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give my ranking list um new hope empire strikes back uh the last jedi the mandalorian <laughs> um uh, the force awakens return of the jedi there's a line rogue one revenge of the sith solo phantom menace attack of the clones interesting that's interesting okay so i've got just two points i really want to bring up there number one you yep. put revenge of sith on the other side of that line and two i did i didn't do rogue one and solo but just so you know yep. rogue one is on the good side of the line and solo's okay. on the bad side of the line for me because you um you didn't clarify, I'm going to when we put this online, I'm gonna say that Rogue One is your favorite movie of all time. Moving on, <clears throat> have you seen The Mandalorian? I have seen The Mandalorian. Um, I'm kind of waiting for it to evolve a bit before I give my final opinion, but I do think it's one of the best things going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's made me genuinely excited. I get excited when The Mandalorian's coming out. I think about it between the week. I'm like, oh, what's gonna happen? I love the speculative. Wow. Element. So you're keeping the book of Boba Fett in there. Yeah, honestly, the Book of Boba was disappointing. I was hoping for it mm-hmm. to be more, but I still, I still enjoyed it. I saw more Star Wars, especially for someone oh. who's a big, um, who's a big fan of the current e, the current canon EU. It's a confusing matter. Let's not get too into it. Yeah. Um, it is a confusing matter, uh, and because we're moving on from this and we're trying to focus on the book, I won't get into the fact that I've never liked Boba Fett, even in the originals, ever. I don't like him. Now, well, let's talk about books. Uh, you put Revenge of a Sith movie in the good side of the line. I put it on the bad side of the line. Um, and I, I think it's not controversial for people to think that Revenge of a Sith is the best um, prequel movie. And the reason I think it's not that controversial is that um, there's a lot more depth to the characters in it. Uh, you know... In Attack of the Clones, it's the beginning of Anakin's fall from grace. And Anakin's fall from grace is murdering an entire village of people. It's quite and a, then the movie carrying on like he's a good guy. It's got a quick fall when you see it in that perspective. Yeah, is it's it, more of like a plummet. He's plummet from grace. It's a, it's a, it is. It's like a snap moment. And I don't like... Uh, and to be fair, I do like how a lot of other Star Wars source material, like EU books, so... Uh, do go in and like start characterizing the sand people because i think in mm-hmm. that movie you're not expected to see them as human no. and so the fact that we're getting more humanization in more modern depictions really mm-hmm. does make, make that scene... they have a special language and like they have a culture it makes that scene so much worse because you're like mm-hmm. these are people and yeah we're meant to just move on he literally goes fast afterwards is like i murdered them all the men and the women and the children too and this is like, like animals. And then she says, like, to be angry is to be human, Anakin, instead of, oh my god, I have to get off this fucking planet. <laughs> These points have been made a lot. And I don't They to... have been made a lot, and we're not adding anything new. What not a lot of people talk about is the novelization of Revenge of a Sith by Matthew Stover? Matthew Stover, that is cool. I got halfway through and then I was like, it's Michael, right? <laughs> I'm confused with Michael Reeves. He he did an, his own Star Wars book. Still very good. Um, is he the Thrawn guy? 
No, that's that's the amazing last name Timothy Zorn. Oh, that is a good name. Is that with an X or a Z? That's with a Z. Okay. That's almost as good as it could have been. The Zorn is a monster in D&D. Um, again, as I said, we're throwing out all these names. And if you're a fan of like Star Wars, I'm sure you've listened to the great uh, you know, Star Wars Focus Book Club podcast. And they go into great depth. But that's not what we are. We are, is this just fantasy? And so I think we should yeah. actually ask that question. Is this just fantasy? It is just fantasy. Thanks for asking, Duncan. Some people might disagree, Geordie. So I'm going to say... Yeah, they this, would. Could you present the opposition while I just kind of explain why I, in many respects, we feel Star Wars is fantasy and where the difference lies? Because science fantasy yeah. is a thing. D- D- Duncan, before this uh, episode, enlisted me to pre- present a steel man argument for why Star Wars is science fiction. And it's it's actually really hard for me because I'm very firmly in the Star Wars is fantasy camp, but I will do it anyhow. I think the main thing you can say about Star Wars, outside the fact that it's literally set in space, um, is the fact that a lot of the language they use is still coded in the realm of science fiction. The fact that there aren't merely robots in the story, but that the robots, like, the word binary is used, like binary code. And they use words like AI and programming and, and cloning as a big part of a series. These are subjects which belong in science fiction. That is the argument I can make. Over to you, Duncan. Eviscerate me. I won't eviscerate you, but I think that's... It's too high, but I think there's a gentle... This is all in a spectrum. You know, there's the, you've got the hard science fiction, soft science fiction, science fantasy, space fantasy. Um, I think Star Wars, you know, sits much more alongside things like John Carter in its... Right, it's fact, in its, the fact that it's a, it's a science fantasy... And you can use yeah, that term John if you Carter's like. John good is a good, uh, it's a good example. I think so. But that science element, that is aesthetics. That is not about the crooks of the actual story. Now, I will make this clear mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'm aware that some of the EE books do expand on the more science uh, fiction elements. Uh, but I'm mostly, I'm mostly focusing on the uh, films as they stand. And today we're talking about novelization and in that realm. I know there are source books with their d games and what have you that do maybe muddy the waters further. But in terms of the mm. films, you look at those elements there, you look at the things like the hyperdrive, um, you look at things such as the, the blasters, you look at the force itself. These elements are never explored within our understanding of physics, mm-hmm. and at some point is outright broken. You know, this universe does not obey the laws of physics as we have any concept to. Yeah, there's fire in space. Exactly, and sand. And sound. But that's not the key thing. The main thing that I think makes this fantasy is that if you take Star Wars and you dial back the years and you take it back until we're following some Jedi on a single planet with samurai blades, mm-hmm. they are still Jedi and it would still be recognisably Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that would be my argument why this would be different to Star Take Star Trek. If you take Star Trek but we just dial back the clock and we go back in time to like the 1980s, what you would get is just the 1980s. Even if mm-hmm. exciting things are technically going on out in the universe, it's just normal life. Where you can't do mm-hmm. that with Star Wars. You still have the Force. You still have these magical powers. It's like um, it's like if you took Harry Potter, but instead of being set in like the 1990s, it was set in like 2190. Like the Muggle technology yeah. would move on and it would look sci-fi, but it would still be magic. 
it would still be the wizards mm-hmm. and they can only be explained away by it's just magic yeah, the only real Steelman argument I could give would be something like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, in which things appear which could almost resemble magic, and which you sort of have to make the argument, this is not magic, this is Arthur C. Clarke-style technology, or alien intelligence is so advanced, they look magical. But they aren't. I... And um, that's the first time you get into the idea of mysticism. What I think that improves upon um, the movie in this book is that the characters have a lot more internal world. In a movie, a character's inner thoughts are conveyed through a lot of um, through a lot of directorial tools, um, shot composition, mise en scène, um, things like lighting and sound. You know the score underneath, and you can never discredit the score of Star Wars movies. But I think the rest of those are pretty lacking in the Star Wars prequels. I mean, you're coming out really harsh, and I want to be like this balancing voice on this podcast. But by and large, I'm going to have to, you know, fully agree. The Star Wars prequels, although I do enjoy the world they've created, mm-hmm. and I do think the expanded yeah, yeah, universe content, enough. the novels, the comics, the TV shows that have been made out of them are good, and I'm really happy they're there. The movies on their own don't entertain me mm-hmm. and that's very much the long and the short of it and the big element of that yep. is the dialogue and the way that dialogue is delivered it's about the fall of anakin skywalker and the rise of the empire and many other elements but that element in particular the fall of anakin skywalker to the dark side mm-hmm. i just wasn't invested in watching the films he was just like I never no, liked like him. It wasn't there's a not fault. very much point following Anakin Skywalker if you're not interested in Anakin Skywalker. There's no fault to him. It's like you're an unlikable person, and this is just about mm. you going closer and closer to the edge, which does have a, mm. a an element of tension. But there's no moment of. I know this might sound stupid because obviously it's a prequel. We know where it's going. Mm-hmm. Spoilers: He becomes Darth Vader. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. But there's no moment of like, at no moment do I even want him not to fall. I was more like, mm-hmm. can we just, you know, just get it over with. Come on now, just become Darth Vader so I don't have to look at you. And then we can move on and get to more interesting stories. Mm-hmm. This book changed that for me. And I don't know how you felt it, but this book, there was a genuine moment. And it was a short moment, maybe a second. But it made me go, oh no, I hope Anakin doesn't fall to the dark side. And that's completely random, because I know he does. But because it made me forget that, or wish that wasn't going to happen, just for that tiniest moment, this book achieved so much more than the film did. How do you feel? Uh, I I don't think I ever had the moment where I was like, boy, I hope Anakin doesn't fall. Um, But I definitely engage a lot more with with the internal world of Anakin Skywalker, like what's going on through his head. And I think a reason why a lot of people there is a lot of prequel apologism is the fact that the Clone Wars does exist, and therefore you get to spend a lot more time with Anakin if you watch that series, which I haven't and I'm not going to. It adds a lot more depth to the character because you get to see him go on more adventures and you spend more time with him. You get to see more sides to him. In this book, which existed before you know the Clone Wars came out, right? There's no Ahsoka. Tano? No, there's no Ahsoka Tano. So to be clear, um, I have watched The Clone Wars at this point. I love it. But yeah, this book is set in a pre 
Clone Wars era, and in many respects, it is non-compatible. You, this book cannot exist in the same kind of timeline and continuity. Speak to that. As Speak to that. Oh, God. Okay. So this book was written back when we were focusing on the Clone Wars multimedia project, which is a collection of novels and comics tying into the Clone Wars when it was coming out. The Clone Wars animated TV yep. show, the 3D one, not the 2D one, um, was made afterwards. Yep. Although technically it is in continuity, it simply is retconning. When in 2014 the t- continuity was retired and new continuity was started with Disney Corporation, not necessarily because of that, but just happens to be at the same time that it was on the card beforehand, and some most of the things that were left behind, except for the movies and the TV shows. Because of this, the TV show, The Clone Wars and Rebels, both fit better into the new continuity created after the Disney acquisition. Sure. So many people, although strictly speaking it's not the official case, do like to just not see the Clone Wars TV show in the same continuity as these old novelizations and the mm-hmm. Clone Wars multimedia project. So do just ignore it. There are elements that just aren't compatible. There's no Ahsoka Tano. Some characters that die in the Clone Wars are alive in this book. And the clones themselves, um, if you've watched Clone Wars, you're familiar with the idea of the prohib- um, inhibitor chips, which are chips that set off Order 66. In this one, mm. they don't exist. The clones of their own free will just go, free will is maybe a strong word. Nah, we're turning on the Jedi at these orders. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, it's go. just a grand conspiracy which Ooh. they've all been in on. I think it's more hypnotism, but yeah, no no brain control chips. Oh, gosh, that's a... That's a lot of it. Someone's going to give you, like... I'm going to get emails being like, Duncan, that's... You, you've, how could you say that? You completely overlooked this detail, but... That's a simple version. They talk a lot in this book about events I'm sure have gone on in other books. It's, um, they constantly are going on about Asar's Ventress. I was like, did he write the other Asar's Ventress book or was it like his best friend wrote it and he really wanted people to read it? Asar's Ventress was very much at this time throughout the Clone Multimedia Project and in the Republic comics, which mm-hmm. canonically she died in, I do believe, at a point and then was retconedly resurrected was sort of the villain of the Clone Wars that they could have mm. and yet kill off because she didn't appear mm-hmm. in The Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Matthew exactly. Saber himself only wrote one Clone Wars novel called Shatterpoint, which was a Mace Windu-focused novel. Mm. Uh, I don't know now I've told you this, whether or not... You... No wonder he keeps talking about fucking Shatterpoint in his book. Every second line is, Mace Windu looked into the Shatterpoint. Yeah, I did feel that. I did feel reading it's like, oh you've not read Shatterpoint or even aware of it you might not quite get what's meant to be going on in this scene no I f- it's very well explained that's good Matthew Stover has a good as a is a very skilled writer when it comes to exploring people's internal thoughts and even in ways that could be on the nose uh which I think he still handles very well I'm going to take you through my experience of reading this book Duncan go ahead and that was um a reluctance followed by very surprised ecstaticism. Uh, you you basically got the process of me like live tweeting my reactions to the first chapter <laughs> of this book because I got it whilst I was out. I, I I bought the book, and when you told me to, and I was out on a walk listening to it, and I was basically sending you messages like, "Damn, chapter one is really good," and um, they do this fantastic job of setting. For one thing, it actually makes the attack on Coruscant mean anything. Like, it's the only time I was like, oh yeah, the capital of the planet was attacked by an enemy fleet, um, and the planet invaded, 
and no one in the movie really makes anything of that. Um, but in this, they talk about, like, the public's reaction to it. And they talk about the galactic, the galaxy as a community that are, like, watching TV and seeing things unfold. And I was like, wow, I, I can't believe that I never really considered, like, that that would be something that was happening in the Star Wars universe that gives a lot more heft to all the events that are going on. Especially when they're, like... Anakin and Obi-Wan aren't just, like, super cool Jedi. They're famous super cool Jedi. And, like, children play games in which they pretend to be Anakin and Obi-Wan. And, um, and that's super cute. And then the space battle begins, and it's very, very well written. And I was like, oh my god, I'm really enjoying this. For me, I was... I still had hesitance when I first picked up this book. I'd read other novelizations, not novelizations, other Star Wars books first. This was my first novelization, but I was sold mm. in that sort of prologue to this book. And I've got the line yeah, the here. The prologue is excellent. Because I just want to say, this should have been like in the title scroll for this movie. Though mm -hmm. this is the end of the Age of Heroes, it has saved its best till last. It's like. Oh. It's epic. It makes it grandiose. It makes it epic. And it sounds already a grandiose yeah. opera. Especially considering film. the opening line to um to the Avenger of the Sith is war. War has spread across the galaxy. There are heroes on both sides, which is textually not true. Yeah, you're right. Actually, the, especially far as the films are concerned, they do nothing to establish that mm -hmm. as a sort of viewpoint. Yeah, this is something that I really enjoyed in in the. Uh, EU material is the fact that they really go into um, the legitimacy of the Separatists and like some of their goals, there are noble people on each side and the Separatists goals... I'm not interested. I'm not interested in space Brexit, Duncan. We're moving on. <laughs> the initial space battle is very well written but I think it just does go on a bit too long. I, like, um, I would agree. I think it goes on too long in the movie and it goes even longer in the book. If you're looking at like context of how much of the book this space battle takes up i do believe it's about a third of the novel until they touch back down on coruscant it is yeah and the stuff on board the ship i think is you know it's 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 it, it's still a bit too long but it is pretty good uh, i think it's appropriate to give a lot of heft to the events that you know lead up to in this battle i think it's it appropriately says this is the most significant moment of the actual war right here. And uh, we're going to give it the appropriate weight. But the actual time spent getting to um, St. Gre Grievous? <laughs> General Grievous's ship, the, the Vengeance? The... Oh, is it? I thought it was the Invisible Hand, or maybe I'm getting confused. The, the Invisible Hand, yeah. Invincible. I think the vengeance is Vader's uh, superstar destroyer, the revenge or something. Anyway, um, when they finally touch down and they get to do, um, you know, like Anakin and Obi Wan fighting side by side, this is where we get to the other really excellent part of the book, and that is the relationship between Anakin and Obi Wan. Would you say that? reading this book you feel that weird mix of both like their friendship it's like this weird mix of like a friendship uh sort of a brotherhood 
but still that mm-hmm. sort of father son obviously master apprentice relationship exactly which just kind of means where anakin's still there and it's like do you ever get moments where you're like it's like your parent when you're younger being like you can tell me if anything but you're thinking yeah but i'm gonna get into trouble if i tell you that thing so i'm just gonna hide yes, it yes that is exactly thing i got and <laughs> like to like to a scarily accurate extent yeah that is exactly what i was thinking about and on one hand, Anakin's right. Obi-Wan wouldn't get his problem. And on the other hand, it, what I really like about this book is that it, it enhances Obi-Wan as my favorite character. As a kid, always loved Obi-Wan. And that's because I always adored Ewan McGregor. Even before I realized that like Obi-Wan was an actor, um, it was always my favorite character. And this book only enhanced it because... Um, you know, there's it, it walks this great line of um, setting up Anakin's fall, whilst using Obi Wan as his um as his countermeasure, where you are watching Obi Wan be this exemplar of the Jedi, as again a steel man argument for why the Jedi are good actually. So the fact that the Obi Wan's greatest flaw is caring too much about Anakin, it's this being one of those emotional attachments which Jedi are supposed to let go of, um, thereby making him a better person and a worse Jedi, is a great setup for their confrontation in the end. That, you know, Obi-Wan permitted Anakin to succumb like this. That he made him into the Jedi who was capable of slaughtering the rest of the Jedi Order. It's very, uh, you know, it, it's emotionally complex for Obi-Wan, a great challenge to watch him embark on. It's also the fact that then he becomes this sort of, like I said, he's the ideal Jedi. But what I really mm-hmm. like is then we get to see the other Jedi and go, oh, you know what? Not every Jedi is hitting these ideals. Not everything this order does is mm-hmm. perfect. It has faults. It has, uh, especially I think in the original trilogy, there's sort of a lot of, oh, the Jedi, they were so wonderful. Luke, you want to be a Jedi. But it really just kind of go mm-hmm. into... The way they were set up, the way they were operating in the prequels wasn't necessarily the best. Um, Mace Windu, I think, makes such a wonderful counterpoint to Mm Obi-Wan in the way that his staunch approach to following the rules and the order. Just as there's so many moments where you're like, Mace, just Anakin just needs you to be a bit less Jedi and a bit more human. And maybe Mm -hmm. thousands of people aren't going to die. I'm just, uh, I've never been that compelled by this whole, you know, the Jedi are, are bad or overly restrictive or anything like that. Um, it, it, it's a complicated thing to wrestle with because... You see, Georgie here's coming to come to terms with an unfortunate, terrible truth. Perhaps the Sith really do have the better way. Embrace your emotions, Geordie. Connect no, community. no, don't you fucking, don't you screen junkies article for $50 me, Duncan. I'm going to make my fucking defense of the Jedi Order here. Listen up, people. In real life, it's very important to be in contact with your emotions, you know. It's really important to, uh, to not either focus on the positive or to just pretend that you aren't letting things bother you. It's very important to... To actually establish strong emotional relationships, find people you can count on and who you can be open and honest with. 
But not if you're a Jedi, okay? Because there's one thing people just stubbornly refuse to acknowledge. There is literal magic in Star Wars. The dark side is a literal, actual thing, which is not just doing bad things. It's literally an evil force trying to corrupt you. It's an intelligent, extra being trying to make you do bad things. It's basically Satan. Okay, we're going to have uh, an argument, which is going to be fun. Um, I disagree with your interpretation of the dark side of the force. If you want to argue that Palpatine okay. was an instrument of the dark side, influencing Anakin, then I would agree. But I do not feel, in my personal interpretation of the force and the dark side, the dark side is an entity. The dark side, the force is the force. And you can use it either in peace, in tranquility, or in anger. And I think this is demonstrated in this book when we get the fight scenes between Obi-Wan and General Grievous and Anakin fighting Obi-Wan at the end. Anakin uses mm -hmm. the Force. He wills it. It does what he commands. Where Obi-Wan mm -hmm. is a tool of the Force. It passes through him. Yeah, God, I love that so much. I love the way Michael Stover writes Obi-Wan's perception of the Force and about how he doesn't react. He just he just performs the Force as well. He moves without thinking because he trusts in the Force to guide him in the right way. Oh, it's so good. It's a beautiful scene, but that, I think, underpins the notions of the dark side being this separate entity. I always personally interpret it as the Force is the entity. It's the life energy between all, and it's how you use it. It's how you grasp it that makes the difference, that makes the dark side. The dark side is about using it in passion and anger for your own desires. So I disagree. I think if Anakin could express it, if the Jedi Order could have just been structured differently, I, it makes you wonder, you know, when you get to, the, say, like Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker becomes mm -hmm. a Jedi at the end. You know, he is the symbol. He's the Reaper. I, I, again, I think it just comes down to the fact that the greatest enemy of a Jedi Order is George Lucas. Like, the very idea of, like, uh, Luke Skywalker was too old when he tried to become a Jedi. Yoda said so, because he was, like, 20, 21 years old at that point. He was a grown man. And Yoda said he's too old. And then it was easily persuaded into training him. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was like, right, because he needs to let go of his old ideas. So he needs to be young, like, I don't know, a teenager. And if it's like, no, literal babies, literal babies need to be indoctrinated. And there's no way to make it into a good guy. And it just feels like, like it's just so stupid as a writing decision to be like, I'm going to make my good guy is so nakedly evil. Like, that is an evil thing to do. Abducting babies. That's bad. And how the fuck do you defend that? I literally can't defend that. So, I would argue that you don't need to defend it. It is okay to see the Institute of the Jedi as evil, while still recognising people like Obi-Wan as ultimate forces for good. All I can really offer to this is, we may not, you may not know this reference, but the Star Wars EU sometimes, have you ever seen, I'm going to say, have you ever seen The Simpsons? But there's a specific Treehouse of Horror episode where they get abducted by the aliens and the aliens mm -hmm. are feeding them up. And Lisa finds a book. And this book, I think, represents all of Star Wars EU. And it's, and it, on the title it goes, How to Cook Humans. And they, they're like, <gasps> and then the alien takes it. like, no, 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 there's just some dust on it. And he blows on the book and he look and he shows the cover again. He goes, "How to cook 
for humans. And they're like, oh, well, that's not horrific. And then Lisa goes, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Rose writes another EU book, blows the dust, how to cook for the number four humans. <gasps> mm-hmm. And I feel that's often how I feel with the Star Wars. It's like, George Lucas would do a thing, and you're like, but the, the ramifications you think about it are horrific. And then EU writer will come along and be like, no, 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 don't worry. I've got it. I've got it taken care of. And they'll write her an explanation. And then sometime later, a comic will come out, and they'll be like, wait, no, but that would mean. And then someone else has to go, nope, don't stop, wait, we'll fix this again, don't you worry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel that going back and forth. But let's put that. At, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this, the novel which we're talking about, and which I promise we are talking about, um, it, ju- it, it works mostly because it fulfills what I want out of uh, a Star Wars story, which is an actual, you know, um, uh, an actual examination of the Force um, from a um, from a nuanced perspective. Like, not in this whole, oh, neither light side nor dark. To, to show an exemplar on one end, to show the fall from grace on another, whilst not getting bogged down in a lot of the silly ideas which George Lucas developed. It doesn't put too much emphasis on lightsaber fights. It puts more of an emphasis on the channeling of the force and the connection to the world around you and things like that. So that's what it gives you and you're happy with that. Would you say then, as a novelization, this is, firstly, Geordie, so just make this clear, this is an improvement on the movie for you? Out, 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 unquestionably. Would you say that if you were to rewatch the movie now, with some of the ideas of this book in the back of your mind, you may enjoy it more? No. Okay. No, because that's exactly what I'm talking about. Star Wars fans will take something like The Clone Wars, which is a diff- written by different people, based on characters. There's different writers' own interpretations. And they'll use it to say, oh, look, Anakin Skywalker had a great deal more depth to him. And the fact is that it doesn't matter that Anakin had more depth and the movie was able to convey because the movie failed to convey it. You know, uh, you can in this movie, there are no really new ideas about Anakin's fear of losing people it's just better examined he just has a more complex inner world a more understandable inner world but i'm never going to be able to to watch you know i don't know hating christensen and you know what i hold no grudge against hating christensen um the fact that he's coming back for this obi-wan kenobi series i you know i hope he does a great job i hope that uh people can look at it and say good for you hayden christensen you were able to give a really good performance. We're really proud of you. I hold nothing against him. But he did not do a good job of conveying the character of Anakin Skywalker. It's kind of very hard because I don't want to... I don't necessarily disagree with you at many points. I just take a very more mellow uh, stance on it. Because I actually found that I do enjoy the film more. With these thoughts at the back of my head. I'm not saying it makes it a better movie. But it does enhance my enjoyment. And I think you know we talked about this before. The idea that... You know, this media is viewed through the lens of yourself you know it's how it you interpret the story and how that makes you how that makes you enjoy it and so mm-hmm. it has affected how i perceive the film and it's made me see it in a more positive light as so i can get more enjoyment that said i'm not re-watching it every year but i think if it was on again i re-watched it and i saw that opening fight or especially like the count dooku scenes it makes me feel more invested because i have a, a better understanding of what's going on behind that character yeah, but it does a really good job of improving upon the character of Count Dooku because you get a much better sense of 
where he's come from. You actually get like basically a flashback about his whole career and how he got to where he is. And, you know, a, a much better insight into his internal world, his, his arrogance, his essentially his racism, which is a much more concrete form of evil, which I'm able to get behind. It's motivation for a character like, oh, I seek more power from the dark side. Hmm, not that interesting. I'm not really interested in people just pursuing power for no end. I'm a, a white supremacist in the world of Star Wars. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get that. I know what that evil looks like. There is a little soundbite to be taken out of that, Dordie, which is not flattering, but okay. <laughs> Tough luck. I edit this podcast. Uh, I agree. So would you also say then, calling upon that moment, that because you know, we talked about that flashback and we talked a little bit earlier about um, you know extra scenes that we see between Obi-Wan. We t- talk about scenes with uh, Padme's in this a lot more. Do you think mm. it's more though? Yeah, definitely. Padme is done is done many a favor uh, by this book. I had a um I had a girlfriend once who was a huge fan of the Star Wars prequels, and Padme actually made her like was an inspiration for her to study political science, um because she thought she was so cool. Uh, uh May, if you're listening to this, read this book. You will love it. She's uh Padme is like the, one of the more interesting characters in it. The politics and the political actions of the characters in their maneuverings are so much more nuanced and intelligent and, you know, like, make sense in context. But here's the point that I really want to get to you, Dordie, because I know my opinion on this, and I want to see if you agree. Do you think there's more to this book, though? Because some people at home might be getting this impression. You know, it's not just about the extra scenes. It's not just about a flashback cut into the movie wouldn't have made Count Dooku or those extra scenes we've had made, it's not just the fact that it has extra content. It's not the expanded script that Matthew Sover, as a writer, has embellished these characters and through his prose, given more than the movie could have under its current kind of directorial oversight. There we go. That's how you say it nice and economically. Good. Okay, cool. We all agreed. Great, we did it. Shortest podcast yet. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, I think Matthew Sover, he's written, not particularly prolific writer, but having read this book, I want to read more of him. Because although you, what else has he written? You mentioned Shatterpoint, um, which, yeah, God, I, I don't want to read any more Star Wars novels. But Duncan, I feel myself being drawn to the dark side. <laughs> it genuinely is how it feels <laughs> to be drawn to the nerd dark side. Because I'm like, I wonder if the other ones are good. The other ones are good. I'll be okay. Right, we. We are talking about Don't just fish. say the other ones are good. No, I will expand. Because I know this. that's not true. I can see into the shatter points myself, Duncan, the nexus point of the force, and I know that a lot of them are cheap cash grabs. The, right. Okay, so many points to make here. Firstly, Geordie, the Venn diagram of bad books and cheap cash grabs is not a circle. You can be a cheap cash grab <laughs> and still be entertaining. That's my number one point. My number two point is um, addressing Matthew Sover. He did write other Star Wars books. I'll be honest, though. I did pick this book because I think it's it's, it's one of the better ones. Um, But it is limited by the fact it's a novelisation where other books do expand the world. And I will take a moment, probably later in the podcast, to be like, if you like this book, this is where I recommend you go. But we're going to focus on Matthew Sover first. He wrote, uh, I believe, five Star Wars books. Uh, this novelization, Shatterpoint, which is a Mace Windu Clone Wars novel, mostly described as the heart of darkness of Star Wars. And if that doesn't spoil the entire plot in a sentence, 
there you go. Um, he also wrote a, a wonderful one called Luke Skywalker and the Shadows of Mindor, which was where he really leaned into the pulpy 1980s comics end of the Star Wars spectrum. And I, I love it. Um, mm. There's even an argument to retcon the book as a like a hollow vid made about Luke's life um, <laughs> because it's that kind of weird. And then when you get really deep into Star Wars, you get to the New Jedi Order series, you know, a casual like 50 books after the end of Return of the Jedi. Um, he wrote another book called Traitor, which focused on the son. Oh, my God, I'm actually going to make this up. I'm going to get this wrong now. No, yeah, it's Anakin. It focuses on the son of Han and Leia, Anakin Solo. And it is hailed as one of the finest works of the sort of Star Wars. So this is a very much non-canonical Legends book. Right. Okay, I'm going to have to address that point now. God, this is a fun podcast, isn't it? No, no, you don't have to do it. No, I will. In 2014, every book that wasn't a clone, everything that wasn't a clone was got decanonized. There we go. We sorted it out. But it's not about canonity. They're two separate continuities, both equally valid, once contained within themselves. Don't devalue the Legends brand. Okay, I, honestly, it's like I honestly feel more pressure in like talking politically on this particular podcast because I know I'm part of so many Star Wars discussion boards, and the people that will jump up, it's like valid, but I'm just trying my best here. I don't mean to okay. mislead. Uh, Whilst Duncan is processing his notes, I want to say that for this episode, I picked up the limited edition intergalactic flavor of Coca Cola because it's space. Um, I've had my second sip. This is the most disgusting thing I've ever drunk. I actually feel a bit ill. I, I really don't know what to say. Um, I drink water during the podcast because we've got to lubricate those vocal cords. Duncan, tell me about Star Wars canonicity. Okay, Star Wars canonicity. Around April 2014, there was a reshuffle in the canon. I think beforehand, apart from the six films, Clone Wars and Rebels... And like one Dark Horse comic that was coming out weirdly at the time uh, was declared non-canon. And most of it was then shuffled under the Legends brand. Now, they share the, everything under the Legends brand shares its own continuity. However, not everything that came out before 2014 is Legends. Some of it is just non-canon, like Lego content and some of the really old comics. Now, just so to be clear, this, this happened at the same time as the Disney buyout, but not necessarily as a result of it. It was kind of on the cards beforehand. Since 2014, uh, under the Disney, we often call it Disney canon, it's a new continuity. And in this continuity, where the sequels and the Mandalorian sit. So quite often when it comes to the Star Wars canon, they're like, well, do I want the old stuff and the new? I basically go, do you like the sequels? If you like the sequels and you want to read books in a world where they exist, go with new canon. There's good content there. But if you're kind of a bit reject, you're like, no, did Rise of Skywalker killed it for me, then I tend to recommend Legends. Um, and if you get into Legends, you might be thinking, well, wh- where do I start? Revenge of the Sith is an excellent one because it sort of doesn't matter. You don't need to know anything more than the films. But often people point out air of the... Et- uh. Often people point out Air of the Empire, which is the book by Tiffany Zorn, which is like the continuing adventures of Luke Skywalker. Not the chronological continuing adventures, that's Jesus Baccarat. The published next book, uh, Continuing Adventures of Luke Skywalker, which you should read first. Okay. That's continuity. Both continuities made up of books, uh, TV shows, shorts, comics, all that wonderful stuff. But that is Star Wars. Revenge of the Sith, the novelisation that we are reading today, is both Legends 
but also canon in the part that doesn't contradict other canon. There we go. Duncan, where does the um, Romeo and Juliet story novel about um, a rebel fighter and an Imperial Navy officer come into that? Oh, you're talking about Claudia Gray's Lost Stars. So that is a new canon book. Uh, It's one of the best ones of the new canon. Um, Why is it not called Star-Crossed? Because people aren't as good as you, Geordie. You're just better Oh, Duncan. That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Because <laughs> that is actually an amazing title. <laughs> really want them to do that one day. Um, yeah, you can read that. And that's the thing. That's why I like Star Wars. So we're really getting away from this book. The thing is, this book is Revenge of the Sith, but better. What I really mm-hmm. like is a good vocal point that we're talking about. The uh, Star Wars EU and franchise works overall. Because so many other authors involved do then do other franchise work. Um, are a Salvatore. Yeah, he wrote the Attack of the Clones novelization, And he wrote, quite famously, the uh, D&D uh, Legend of Drizzt, Dark Elf. Exactly, yeah. That's how I got introduced to him. God, he's written a lot of those books, like dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Um, he the, is yeah. prolific as hell. And similarly... Similarly? Yeah, similarly. Similarly, the word doesn't sound right now. One sec. Just so... Just so, many of the other authors that contribute to the Star Wars universe have written their own stuff. I wouldn't know Matthew Stover if it wasn't for Revenge of the Sith. And if I didn't know him for that, I may never have found his Acts of Cain books, which are a okay. wonderful science fiction, no, science fantasy, science fantasy book series about a sci-fi world that has basically monopolised dimensional doors into a fantasy world, which they send through actors to then act out event in the fantasy world but we're following an actor who's also an assassin and it's you just you find these things that you may not come across otherwise and that's why i find them huh? i i know trust me you, we'll, we'll get to it one day um but i really do find a simile i feel and i feel the same about star wars i feel the same about the dnd books i feel the same about to an extent uh the conan pachets of the, like the tour 1970s to 1990s era um these may be books that are being written on contract, but these authors are still bringing their skill and their talent to expanding the universe you know, which can make it a very easy read. But then also you can use it as like a, a reference point. You know, you enjoy a particular author, you, you enjoy Timothy Zorn, so you then go out and you read his Cobra series. You enjoy um, Kevin J. Anderson and his Star Wars books, so you go out and you read the uh, Dune books he wrote, and then you regret that. And then you're sad. I really don't like that it gets often discredited in terms of literature. Because, as I said, just because they they can't... Yeah, some of them are cheap cash grab. Doesn't mean they're not good. Just because it's part of an existing universe that they're all sharing... It's anything. It's actually quite an amazing achievement. The idea of all these authors coming together and coordinating... I say coordinating. They often don't. And then someone has to come along and retcon them together. It's quite an impressive feat. That said, I do think there is an argument. Time is precious and we don't all read books at the same pace. So if you're like, oh, shall I give it a go? Oh, but I've got this list of other great classics. Well, maybe you want to go for the classics if you think that's going to enrich your life. But I don't just read to enrich my experience. I mostly read for enjoyment and to escape. And particularly the Star Wars is such good escapism because I don't need to learn a new world. I recently read... Um, after Avenger the Sith in this fortnight we've had, I read Kenobi 
which is a continue follows obi-wan straight after revenge of the sith and it's so nice in that book they do not tell you what happened in revenge of the sith like it's not in the text it's just assumed <laughs> if you're reading a book called star wars kenobi you have seen revenge of the sith and you know what's going on i'm genuinely so so lost and not sure what to say and um i really god that drink has taken me out i feel horrible <laughs> i like my mind is adrift right now and it's not just because of star wars too much blue milk duncan too much blue milk so jordy do you want to guess how many star wars books i've read okay okay i'm entering my mind palace i'm doing my sherlock holmes i'm gonna look into the shatterpoint I'm going to say, God, how many are there? This is not including comic books, right? No, not including comic books. God, no, comics, I'm... Okay, that brings down the number significantly. Yeah, no, comic books. I'm going to say 18. A bad one. I've read 27 Star Wars books. My first guess is going to be 25, and I was like, I literally could not name 25 Star Wars books, let alone 20, let alone 18. Can I let you, so just so you get a scale of Star Wars, seriously, well, most Star Wars books aren't that good, right? Do you want to know? So, I got a, a webpage the other day that did you put in all the Star Wars books you've read, and it tells you what percentage of all the Star Wars books you've then read. I put in 27. You want to guess what percentage came up? <laughs> no, yeah, 10, 6, 6, 6. I that means there's over 300! <laughs> right. There is about, yeah, 300 Star Wars books out there. So let me just say this. If only 1 in 10 Star Wars books is worth your time, and I think a lot more of them are worth your time, that's still 30 novels. I sat down and made Duncan, a list of all the books I wanted to If we... Book. If our podcast was only about Star Wars novels and we kept our current place, it would take us, what, 12 years to read all of them i duncan you would be middle-aged by the time we finished our podcast dude i'd be coming off from retirement i would have paid off my mortgage <laughs> um i wrote out a, like a short list of just the ones i wanted to read and that uh, list was 80 books long just on people going 80 yeah 80 and that's just people going yeah that's kind of good boy howdy I'm duncan a... new segment for the show I'm decided that next week I'm running the Star Wars Fancy Fancy Flight role-playing game. Pitch me your character. You have ten seconds. Uh, my favorite enemy in Star Wars is the sort of the smugglers and bounty hunters. So I would go down that route. I'd be a smuggler character, uh, but from an inner world like Coruscant, working on the who came from the, like the lower levels and knows all about the criminal mm -hmm. stuff on like the inside. It'll be with a blaster, maybe a bit of um, munitions, get those thermal detonators in there. Uh, but he wouldn't mm -hmm. be a pilot, because I think they're all pilots, they're all such good person. No, no, no. This guy would be much more, he's like more of a trooper, but he's not about the wars. Mm -hmm. He's about, he's the muscle that uh, huts hire to go and rough people up. That would be my character. Boom. Love it, love it. Uh, I, I, I definitely would be torn in between um, uh, being a Jedi and being a droid. Uh, I really like the idea of playing a <laughs> playing R2-D2 and beep-boop-beeping my way all over the place. But it would probably be quite hard. I'm a very much a role player, and it would be hard to have in-depth conversations with my character's feelings. So I'd probably end up playing a Jedi. I love the, um, the Muriels. They are very... Such a fucking Star Wars nerd. They're not very 
uh, noticeable in the actual movies, but they play a pretty big role in the expanded universe projects, which I've seen. So I'd be a cool Muriel Jedi lady, probably survived Order 66. Maybe it's just a Padawan. Master died, saved me from the end. Then, and then I would talk a fucking ton about lightsaber fighting styles and shit. Then what we would do would be a post-Revenge of the Sith, like Coruscant Knights campaign, where the Jedi has escaped mm-hmm. the temple, fled to the underworld, and it's meeting up with mm-hmm. like, like-minded people, being like, okay, whatever, for whatever reason, we're all on the run from the Empire, it's just being formed, yeah. and it's like escaping yeah. to not, the And we're not the rebel resistance. Yeah. If I was playing a Star Wars role-playing game, I wouldn't be interested in being the rebels. No. Same. I would either want to do that either, that straight after Revenge of the Sith, or I'd want to go right to the Old Republic stuff and then maybe the Jedi and Sith. One of the two. Yeah, I, I would do that too, except obviously I don't. I'm really interested in it, but I don't know enough about it, and I don't care enough to find out. You're missing out. Well, do that if you run the game, Duncan. <laughs> I'm going to talk about some more things that I really like about this book. Yeah, I think that's a really clever Because idea. right now we really have... I, I don't think we've done justice to, um, to why this thing works. Um... Top-notch banter. Uh, the, the snappy dialogue in between characters is really fun without being eye-rolly. Um, it's like, it's like, exactly as you say before, it's pulpy. People are doing quips and one-liners, but they don't feel forced. They feel quite natural. Obi-Wan, I think, really exemplifies that. He stands the quippiness of Obi-Wan in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't actually pull up an exact example now, and I think it would be diminished outside of context. But his character, indeed, indeed, gets, yeah. I wouldn't say he's like gets you laughing. It's not like a good omens proper laugh, but it's a constant, maybe a chuckle or at least a smile. Exactly, a little. You exhale. I've exhaled a lot of air through my nose whilst listening to this book. Oh, actually, I really want to pull up on that. Um, you listen to this book. Do you want to actually just explain yep. a little bit? Because I, I'm oh my god, the audiobook is so good. It's so good. Uh, they really go whole hog with it. For one, for one thing, uh, the main voice actor Jonathan Davis does a great job with um with the characters he does, uh, and also there's a lot of excellent foley work. Like when a lightsaber turns on, it would go, and um when you know, then there's blasters going off. It's pew 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 pew. Big old swooping star fighters are really, really excellent. Uh, they go whole hog, and it, it, it's so silly and fun. And um, and not for nothing. He does, the voice editor does really excellent voices for the characters. And one of the voices which he does really well, which kind of make or breaks the book, is he does a really good Yoda impression. I liked, I really enjoyed the way Yoda was written in this book. Um, how... We're keeping the character, but I love to have that, especially when we get into his mental thoughts. You really kind of get the sense of like, he's been training for so long. This is uh, particularly in the Palpatine fight at the end. Lovely bit where we're in the other side and he kind of, the other has this realisation mm. of um, all these years, he's been training the Jedi to fight the Sith of a thousand years ago. And it's this nice kind of twist on, you know, Yoda, he was dedicated, mm-hmm. he was doing his best. But he was just misguided. He, or you could say, we're talking about uh, earlier the mm-hmm. false the Jedi Order. The, they were arrogant. They thought, nah, we got the Sith. That's done. And this is that horrible turning moment, that shutter point in the Force. I don't actually know if it's correct. It's a shutter point. Um, where he kind of goes, ah, oh, I've made a mistake. And I think it's great, especially in this fight scene, where it's not just about the actual combat, uh, which I love in the film. 
but it's also about the mm. the two philosophies and how they're both thinking right what does it mean to be a jedi what does it mean to be a sith and who's one i'm rolling fight? my eyes a little bit i agree that this is a um a, a pretty good fight scene because it does focus more on the light and the dark the push and pull the force um i i think it is um i think it is overindulgent to say the least in the film um if it goes on for much too long anytime yoda produces a lightsaber i i can't take it remotely seriously um and in this book i i, I also can't bear the fact they keep referring to yoda as a master duelist an exemplar of the art uh is um that is just a bit too much for me you don't like the kicky flippies the jumpy one I don't like the kicky flippies. No, I don't like an old, decrepit little um, little green man fighting a, a a a decrepit old human man, whilst one goes and the other goes. Neither of those characters should have lightsabers. Neither of those characters need to have lightsabers. I will agree, but no, it's beneath. No, it is still fun because it's this showing of. In the Force, they are equal. So they're having to resort to what they've got left. That's how I like to say it. No, they shouldn't be equal in the Force. They shouldn't be. The whole point of the scene is that the Dark is winning over the light. Not just that he can do better kicky flips. But that ties into it, though. Um, because if he's kind of established for the Obi-Wan, you know, when the Jedi fight, they fight by letting the Force guide them and move through them where the Sith are taking control of it and using its power for to enact their will. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it's a visual representation, okay? You're right. In a book, you can talk about the ebbs and flows of the dark side and the Force and that, but in a film, you need to visualise that. And I have no problem with choosing to visualise it with a little green man flipping about a big auditorium while an old gentleman throws giant disky, discus platforms. Discus floating yeah. things at him? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. The majesty of the force, the push and pull of the dark and the light. I'm going to write some fan fiction for you now, Duncan. And this is something I was thinking about a lot when I was reading the fight between the Jedi Knights, Mace Windu, and the one other master in that scene, the fish boy. Oh, Kit Fisto. Kit Fisto. Don't call him fish boy. Show respect, man. Yes, you're sorry. I should call him a Nautiloid? I, I actually completely forget. All I remember about him is that he developed like his own underwater style. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. He has an underwater lightsaber. It works underwater. It's cool. Yeah. See, you're a fan. Yeah. You're a super fan. God, it's un- so embarrassing I know that. But I know so much about fucking Star Wars. Uh, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> anyway... I like that they don't go too much into Yoda being on um, on Kashyyyk. Matthew Stover was clearly so embarrassed by that scene. He was like, I'm just going to move past as quick as possible. I Chewbacca actually... does not show up in this show up in this book. That isn't actually completely um, Matthew Stover's decision. Actually, I will just pin that in there. That oh, was actually quite a late addition in the uh, script writing process. So there is a lot of suggestion that actually when Matthew Stover first got the script, Kashyyyk mm. wasn't really in it. Um, thus, basically, when it got updated, he just went out and sod it. Yeah, I didn't I need it before. I don't need to put it in now. Yeah. And it does actually yeah, that makes sense. how much that it seems. Also, probably Matthew Stover wasn't, didn't have the incentive of, 
I need to sell a fuck ton of Chewbacca dolls to the idiot children I'm conning money out of, so I don't need to include a completely extraneous character in this. For someone who liked this book, you're a very cynical man. God, it brings up the... This is my fault of a dark side. I... Like, talking about the Star Wars prequels, it brings out the worst aspects of nerddom in me. Uh, it's part of why I don't like talking about them. Because I feel like a jerk. Because I feel like I'm shitting on people's fun. I wish we were talking about The Mandalorian. I wish there was a novelization of The Mandalorian. We could talk about that. I have nothing to, good things to say about The Mandalorian. I mean, can I please write some fan fiction? Yes, you can write some fan fiction. Okay, so Mace Windu and the other Jedi go to confront Palpatine. And, um... Palpatine should not have a lightsaber. If he does, it is only because he's going to give it to Darth Vader. That is the reason why he would own a lightsaber. However, if he must, then this is the way I think the scene should go. They walk up, and they're going to attack him. They're going to arrest him, and he doesn't produce a lightsaber. He doesn't fly across the room so fast that no one can react. He says, sat down, and darkness seeps into the room. The Jedi look about in fear and surprise as they feel this overwhelming sense of darkness. And each Jedi, aside from Mace Windu, is dispatched in a, um, in a new, unique, and scary way. Like, one of them just like his neck just turns around and his neck snaps or another one he clutches at his chest because his heart has been stopped or another one like is driven through the manipulations of the dark side to fall upon his own lightsaber and the only person who can resist is mace windu because he kneels down and he meditates instead of trying to fight and then when Palpatine realizes that he can't overcome Mace Windu just through the dark side, because Mace Windu's too cool, um, then he can either pick up one of the dead Jedi's lightsabers or produce the lightsaber that will eventually become Darth Vader's. That would be how I would have written the scene. And I don't think it would have been a bad scene, Geordie. So, well done. But Thank you, Duncan. I actually the idea of the, like a force making a guy fall in his own lightsaber is really cool, and I actually love that. Um, but I do still, I still, I still get it because I still feel like the lightsabers need to be a consistent part of the Jedi and the Sith aesthetic, which to be fair doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. Why can't you be a Jedi that uses a blaster and guides your blaster bolts around corners? Mm-hmm. You, yeah, absolutely. That... I mean, I, I don't really see, um, I mean, I, I don't really want to get, like, into, like, I don't know. Can I tell you why, though? Freaking laser whips or what have you. Oh, oh, Go well, ahead. then, then in that case, you don't want laser whips. We better not, um, read the uh, Marvel comics or get into the, um, The Marvel era. comics in which he faces a dark Jedi who uses a laser whip so Luke Skywalker creates a second shorter pink lightsaber to fight them? Yeah, that one. Duncan, you can see why why this, this is so embarrassing for me. I, I shouldn't know that. I shouldn't know that. These are dark things to know, Duncan. I love the original Marvel comics. Sorry, not getting that tangent. Um, okay. But I, it's part of the aesthetic and that's thing. It's about what they think is sort of a, a rule of call. And particularly Mace Windu was set up that he is a master 
duelist. And mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fair to say that, you know, Palpatine isn't physically strong, but it's through his mastery of the Force that that can then drive his muscles to achieve more and keep pace. So I think there's a bit of something there. I, 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 uh, well, that's the difference for me is that or, I don't like any of the scenes, even in this book, where the Force just makes Jedi super soldiers. Like, um, whenever it's like, it says, like, Obi-Wan made, used the Force to, like, enhance the strength of his legs. Um, to me, that is, um, I'm like, oh, God, this is too much. And indeed, there are times when there's a little too much action where an entire army of droids is just firing at Obi-Wan and he's just, like, able to dodge them all because he's guided by the Force. I'm like, this is too much. This is just a little bit too much and you need to tone it down a little bit. Still like this book. I like this book. And I think that's almost as simple as simple as it gets. You know, you guys know, probably, the plot of Revenge of the Sith. We can tell you mm-hmm. that this book has excellent prose, if not sometimes a little overwritten, a little long in the tooth, but it enhances that core story and the characters therein beautifully. Mm-hmm. So, kind of final notes here. Geordie, have you now read uh, Revenge of the Sith? Heard my thoughts on literature and what's pulpy what's a cash grab what do you think would you firstly would you recommend this book and who would you recommend it to if you like revenge of the sith even a little bit you should read this book if you are a prequel apologist or a fan of the clone wars read this book um if you're my ex-girlfriend may hi may i'm glad you're listening like share and subscribe read this book because it is it is just what you already like with a great deal more depth, you get to spend way more time with your characters. You get to see them in new ways. The action is well written and fun. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. a very enjoyable book. I would genuinely say that if you're someone who has the slightest interest, and there are so many posts on like Reddit about where to start with the um, Star Wars sort of expanded universe, this book is an excellent place to start because it's sort of you can read it part of both canons. It enriches the whole story. Um, there's no real downside I think by jumping in here and then there's so many great mm-hmm. places you can go on from you can read it's kind of like direct continuations in Darth Vader Lord of the Sith uh, sorry Dark Lord the Rise of Darth Vader that's the title Dark Vader Lord of the Sith is a comic book continuation uh, that's the canon one you can you can go on and read Shatterpoint you can go back and read Darth Vader you can kind of take this as your your nexus and then expand out in both directions God, um, I feel the pull of the dark, Duncan, because I am kind of interested in reading Shatterpoint. Really? I will not ever tell you not to read a book if you have the vaguest interest. And I'll tell you now, Matthew Stover is a consistently good author. Um, and I think we should leave that one hanging. I'm glad that you were... I won't ask you if you're going to, but the fact that you feel the pull, I think means I've done my job. What have I become? That which you once what hated. I'm going to pick up Palpatine and, fr- and f- throw him down a, a, a cooler shaft whilst he electrocutes me because I'm done. Take off my helmet, Duncan. I wish to look upon my podcast one more time with my own eyes. Well, we've done Revenge of the Sith. Let's look forward to a new hope. What book do you want to bring to the table next week? Because this is a book about the pull of the light and the darkness, I'm going to go to one... So I'm going to recover my nerd bona fides to be more secure in myself. And I'm going to give you a, a story about what could have been for Anakin Skywalker. The, the happy ending for him. 
and that is uh, the book A Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin, one of the best fantasy novels of all time. And famously compared to uh, Revenge of the Sith in many a literary essay. They, I mean, it was definitely in my head when I was reading it this time for the podcast. I'm very um, happy with that. I am an Ursula Guin, I'd say fan. I've actually only read about three of her works, but they were all fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'd love to read Wizard Versi with you. And Have you read it before? I have indeed. So okay, this will gotcha, be a reread good. for me. Uh, uh-huh. But I've always strong to... recommendation if you listen to this. Read Wizard of Earthsea. If you, hey, if you're one of those Star Wars prequels fans, read Wizard of Earthsea. It's also about basically, I mean, the Star Wars is about wizards. It's about a wizard sort of being pulled back and forth between the light and the darkness. And it's well, as much as I enjoyed um, the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, there's no question this is a much better book. I'm, I'm going to have to admit, no matter how much I like Star Wars, there's always that thing hanging over it about proper literature. But most people agree, mm-hmm. Ursula Gwynn's work, some fine literature, open for analysis, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to read it uh, with you and share our thoughts. And for people at home, if you haven't read it, please, we've got a fortnight now. Read the book. Come back and join us next time. If you have any It's thoughts, not long. It's not long. It's a very small book. If you have any thoughts on Wizard of Versi or Revenge of the Sith, Please feel free to send them to our email account. That is if it's just fantasy podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing yep. from you and then hopefully going We want to hear all about the stuff we got wrong about Star Wars. Please be kind to me. I tried. I really tried. Thanks everyone. See you next time. See you next time, everyone.